I'd like to read three verses from uh, three different New Testament books. The first is Luke 14, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. These familiar words from John 13, verses 34 and 35. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you, if you love one another. Finally, from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. These verses are about the virtue of love. Even the verse that mentions hate is actually about overwhelming love. The reason I'm preaching on love is simply because last Sunday we started a new series of sermons on what is commonly called the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit's fruit is found in Galatians uh, chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. Uh, the first, we're going to devote a sermon to each of the virtues that make up the single piece of fruit that is called the fruit of the Spirit. The first one is love. I think that is intentional that love come first for the simple reason that it is the chief of all virtues. In fact, the apostle Paul said the greatest of these, uh, referring to other virtues, the greatest of these is love. You will especially notice that in this list of virtues, especially focusing on love, the object of love is not stated. Does he mean love for Jesus? Perhaps he is thinking about love for each other, for fellow believers. It is possible that he's even thinking about love for the lost people in the world. After all, elsewhere, Paul says, the love of Christ compels us. If you look at the larger text, the love of Christ compels us to work hard to persuade others concerning the gospel. Actually, I think we already know the answer. It is all three. We are to love Jesus supremely above all else. We are to love each other with Christ-like love. And we are to be compelled by the amazing love of Christ to talk about Jesus to those who desperately need to embrace him by faith. So that's sort of the way our sermon will, will go today. The place to actually begin is with this. We are to love our Lord Jesus Christ preeminently. The word preeminent uh, means to love Jesus overwhelmingly, to love him as our first and foremost. It is to be preoccupied with loving him and living for him. Let's read about that preeminent love in Luke 
chapter, uh, uh, chapter 14, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Perhaps you are hearing those verses for a first time, and they sound rather shocking to you. It is a jolting statement from the lips of Jesus. What we have here is the supreme teacher of love, seemingly issuing a command for us to hate those we are to most love, our children, our parents, our spouse, even our own self. Is it really possible that Jesus really wants us to hate our nearest and dearest? Is Jesus calling us to that kind of relationship? I think that you know the answer is no. And the reason is because Jesus is simply making use of hyperbole, an intentional exaggeration. Hyperbole is a figure of speech that uses exaggeration to magnify a crucial point. What our Lord is doing here is raising our love for Him to the superlative degree. Actually, what Jesus is saying, that when it comes to legitimate loves, those that are nearest and dearest to you, you are to love me supremely above all else. You are to love me to the uttermost. I am to be your overwhelming first. I am to be your first priority and your foremost passion. It's interesting that in another gospel, Jesus drops the hyperbolic language and just states the principle plainly. We read in Matthew 10, verse 37, Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. To be worthy of Jesus means that though we have others that we are most definitely to love, we must love Him more. We must love Him extravagantly. We must love Him preeminently. Just a few days ago, I was filling my tank with gasoline. Over in the next bay, there was a woman performing the same task. What surprised me was within a moment's time, she left the nozzle in her tank and she ran about 25 yards to a nearby bush. And from my angle, it looked as though she had buried her face in the bush. I thought to myself, you know, she might need a little help. So I walk over to her. I stand at a distance enough not to startle her. And I simply said, uh, ma'am, are you okay? Can I help? 
she looked up and with great enthusiasm said, come and see. And I walked over, looked at the bush, and there was this beautiful multicolored butterfly. And she took out her camera and took a picture of it. We walked back to our uh, vehicles, and as she pulled away, you can't make this stuff up, when she pulled away on the bumper, I brake for butterflies. <laughs> and I thought to myself, this verse has been going over and over in my mind. Oh, that I would love Jesus with that kind of enthusiasm, with that kind of, of zeal, with that kind of reality. I mean, she showed it with her actions, and her creedal affirmation was on her bumper. I read about another woman in John 12. Mary of Bethany goes into the presence of Jesus. There are people there. His disciples are present. She stoops at his feet and she breaks open an alabaster box of perfume that is worth at least a half year's wage. In fact, extravagance, another word for it, is wasteful. And Judas Iscariot called that moment of sacred worship a waste. It was wasteful. But Jesus accepted her love and her worship as she used her hair as a towel to minister to the feet of Christ. When Jesus says, hate your nearest and dearest, he is raising our love to the level of extravagance, of enthusiasm, that he is to be our overwhelming first. I think it was just a, uh, about two years ago, I was thinking along these lines and wrote this rather simplistic prayer in my journal that I would like to read to you. Maybe we can pray along these lines. Lord Jesus, be my first thought in the morning and my last thought at night. Be the supreme focus of my life in all the between hours. Be my first priority and foremost passion every day. Holy Spirit, grow in me an undying love for Christ. Christ calls us to love Him supremely. May we trust and depend on the Holy Spirit to cultivate this virtue. May we ask the Holy Spirit to grow us in our love for the Lord. This brings us to another truth. We are to love each other with Christ-like love. Reading John 13, verse 34 again. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. It's interesting that the command to love each other dates all the way back to the book of Leviticus, which means the command to love each other is a very old command. So the question is, why does Jesus call it a new command? A new command I give you. 
Well, the reason is found in the words, as I have loved you. You are to love each other. What's new is, the, is that the world never had the example of Jesus until he stepped on the historical scene in his divine incarnation. Then people could look at Jesus and they could listen to Jesus and they could say, that's love. And it is Christ who is calling us to practice a Christ-like love. Now if you ask the question, well, what, what does a Christ-like love look like? What does it sound like? Sound like? Well, there are a couple of answers you can give. One is that Christ-like love is serving love. Just before his crucifixion, Jesus walked into an upper room in Jerusalem. He, along with his disciples, took a seat at the table. And then Jesus rises up, garbs himself with a towel, and takes a basin of water in his hands. He goes around to each one of the disciples, and he stoops and washes their feet thoroughly, and then he dries their feet. Afterwards, he returns to the table and he says, If I, your Lord and teacher, wash your feet, you should wash each other's feet. If you know this, you are blessed, he said, if you do it. What Jesus was doing was taking the role of the servant. For it was the responsibility of the servant in Jesus' day because of the long journey and the fact that they wore sandals, their feet would be corroded with dirt and they needed to be washed by the servant. And Jesus, as he elsewhere said, I am among you as one who serves. And like Jesus clothed himself with that towel, one of the disciples who actually got his feet washed was Peter. And Peter says in his epistle, clothe yourself with humility by serving one another. If you want to love like Christ, it's got to be foot washing love. It's got to be stooping love. It's got to be humble love. And if you will be open to the Holy Spirit, if I will be open to the Holy Spirit, He is always showing us ways to humbly care for and love and serve each other. Another way to answer this question is to simply say Christ-like love is sacrificing love. You might say it's laying your life down like Jesus did kind of love. Listen to this crucial verse. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That is the level of affection and devotion we are called by Jesus to practice toward each other. 
lay-down-your-life kind of love. It was Chuck Colson who told a story about American POWs during World War II. These uh, prisoners of war were forced into harsh, cruel, daily labor. Each morning they were given a, a shovel and forced to dig throughout the whole day. And they were to return their shovels at the end of the day. Twenty soldiers stood before a guard, and the guard counted a total of 19 shovels. He turned in rage against these POWs and demanded that the guilty person who left their shovel behind step forward. No one did. Finally, he took out his pistol, and he said, I will shoot five men if the guilty person doesn't step forward. And a young 19-year-old soldier stepped forward. And the, and the guard took him to the side and killed him. When the guard left, the soldiers counted the shovels, and there were, there were 20. The guard had miscounted. And in those few seconds that it took, for this soldier to calculate his future, he chose to die that others may live. Reminiscent of the words of Jesus, greater love has no one than this, than that he lay down his life for his friends. You can take that as a sort of sentimental story if you want to a kind of moving of the emotions in a sermon. But that is real. That is how we really are to love each other. Listen to the verse again. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. When God the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, cultivating the fruit of the Spirit in your life, the love He is going to create is more than sentimental love. It is humble-serving love. It is total-sacrificing love. It is the kind of love that will baffle the world. And the reason I know this is because verse 35 goes on to say, by this everyone will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Meaning, the world is always watching the people of Christ. And Jesus has given the world the right to render the verdict of guilty if it sees us being unkind to each other unforgiving, unloving, and bitter, and grudge-holding toward each other. We are to love with Christ-like serving and sacrificing love. In a very real sense, we must always remember that the virtue of love is a public virtue where the world sees us, and they should see the very ways we verbally and visually live out our love for each other with Christ-likeness.
So we've really considered, if you think about it, three truths. We're to love Jesus supremely above all else. We are to love each other with Christ-like humble love. And we are to love the world. The world is watching. They need to see our love. And we need to be compelled by the love of Christ to persuade people to trust Christ for salvation. And with those three things in mind, I'd like to quickly give a couple applications. Here is the first. Pray earnestly for overflowing love. Listen again to 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 12. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. Pray for a love that increases as it goes along. Pray for a love that is, is so dynamic and so glorious that it's like an overflowing ocean of love toward each other. There comes a time when a believing people need to ask the Holy Spirit for more love for Christ and for more love for each other. A dynamic love. A never-ending love. A joyous love. A love that overflows. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to, to make us be a people who visibly and verbally love Christ and love each other. Here is a second illustration. Always live in the shadows of the cross. I was so moved by Danny's taking us to the cross this morning in worship. It was not orchestrated by the two of us. It just must have been the way the Lord wanted us to worship today. You know, there's a verse in Galatians 6 that says, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which I have been crucified to the world and the world to me. We are to relish, we are to boast in, we are to live in the shadows of the cross. A number of years ago, a famous theologian, you may have heard his name, maybe not, Carl F.H. Henry. He was a man who wrote massive theological textbooks that are still used in seminaries today. He is the the founder of Christianity Today magazine. And he was at the center of leadership in the evangelical world during his day. Toward the end of Henry's life, he agreed reluctantly to do an interview about his career. And the interviewer asked a bunch of relevant questions. But he knew that Henry was especially known for being, quote, a humble man, unquote. And so the interviewer says to Dr. Henry, you have been at the center of evangelicalism for 50 years. How have you managed to stay humble? I mean, what a dumb question to ask somebody. And, and Henry just sort of shrugs his shoulders. The interviewer persisted. 
Henry replied, I don't really know. He persisted. And finally, and humbly, Henry replied, well, it's hard to be prideful when you're standing at the foot of the cross. You're right. That's where we always stand. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there is very little difference between the word humble and the word love. They cover much of the same ground. So it is right to say, living in the shadows of the cross, standing at the foot of cross, looking up at ultimate love on display, it's hard to be unkind. It's hard to be unforgiving standing at the foot of the cross. May we boast in the cross of Jesus. What I would like to do as we close is to have a longer prayer than I normally do at the end of sermons. I want us to talk to the Holy Spirit about the virtue of love. Will you pray with me and stay with me Holy Spirit, you are called in Scripture the Spirit of Truth, and you are called in Scripture the Eternal Spirit. We ask that you, Holy Spirit, will grow us in the truth and change us by the truth, and that you will day by day prepare us for eternity. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you come to indwell those who believe in Christ and you are always with us. You tell us that we are to be filled with the Spirit. So each day fill us. Enable us to yield to you, to be controlled by you. You tell us in Scripture that we're not to grieve the Holy Spirit. And when our character, when our lives are sour, to another soul. Forgive us. Ripen your sweet fruit in us that the very taste of our lives will be love, will be rejoicing in the Lord, that we will know peace with the Lord and live in peace with each other. Give us patience. Make us kind and good and gentle. Help us to be faithful to you and each other. And help us to live self-controlled. Holy Spirit, none of us would say we love Jesus sufficiently enough. But we want to more and more. So we ask that you create in us an ongoing, growing devotion to Jesus. That He would be our first priority. That He would be our foremost passion. That we will live for You and walk with You in a way that shows that we are Yours. And we know that we are Yours. And we are grateful. Give us extravagant love for you, Lord Jesus. Father, 
It is not always easy for us to love each other. But we have so much in common. We have you, Lord Jesus. We have heaven in common. We have the same mission. We belong to the same people. Oh, give us Christ-like love for one another, the kind that will stoop and serve and be glad that we get to do it. Make us a people who literally lay down our lives so that your need is over my need. Your good is over my good. Your well-being is over my well-being. And oh God, there is a world that is headed toward eternal ruin. Let the love of Christ compel us to be unashamed of Jesus and to believe that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation and that we would work to persuade people. Holy Spirit, work into the very fabric of our being in all the hours of every day such love. Holy Spirit, we ask you for it. And we ask you to help us live standing and bowing at the foot of the cross. Boasting in the cross of Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.